Hello and welcome to Taxpayers Australia's Tax Wrap Podcast. Uh, we're on episode number three this week. I'm Nathan Hewitt and we're joined by Angela, Bill and Letty. Um, and the topics this week will probably take a turn for the slightly festive in the lead up to Christmas, which is always exciting, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, Bill, we're talking government reform and particularly the regressive or progressive tax debate. Yep. So let you just jump straight into that. Yeah, sure. Um, look, th- this is uh, an area that sort of surprised me, actually, to tell you the truth, even though it was sort of foreshadowed in uh, the election campaign. It's basically around the GST reforms uh, that, that are coming through. Um, and they're sort of in the context of the broader reforms to the Federation of Australia and whether or not there needs to be more powers given to the states or, or retained by the Commonwealth. So, um, look, an interesting area. Um, there's been discussion about uh, h- how to effectively uh, change the GST to make it a more progressive tax or, 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 or a, in, in some, some respects a regressive tax and whether or not it's a more efficient way to collect tax revenue. Um, so, yeah, look, I'll, look, I'm interested in the area. I'm not sure how interested you guys will be. Well, Bill, I reckon... Probably what's a good background for everyone is to just explain that in the budget, a lot of the state funding did get cut. So what this will mean is that the states can get a bit more revenue potentially by upping the GST. Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess that was sort of um, maybe the intention in mm-hmm. hindsight, looking looking at that policy and sort of saying, okay, well, how are they going to make up um, that shortfall? And it seems like the intention is for the government to legislate to increase the GST. There was even some talk about whether or not they could legislate on the GST without the state's input. Um, I think mm. that's a bit of a furphy. <laughs> it is a Commonwealth law. Um, that won't go down well, Yeah, though. no, look, I, I actually think um, the Commonwealth will, will legislate in that area and then sort of negotiate the breakup of the revenue after the fact. But... Um, yeah, look, what, what do you guys reckon? Well, from the consumer's perspective, uh, obviously nobody would personally be happy about an increase in the rate of GST. Yeah. But what if we were to say, let's reduce income taxes by a significant amount. For example, we could increase the tax-free threshold to 30000 and maybe decrease the marginal rates on the lower end of the scale. Okay. Then everybody has more money in their pocket, but we increase the rate of GST, and not only that, but put GST on everything, no exemptions, mm. which will cut compliance for business, cut compliance for yeah. po- possibly a lot of consumers, you, yeah. and also cut out a lot of loopholes and exemptions that people are getting away with right now. Mm. That's what, a great idea. Like that. Yeah. Well, you got see that this is the thing, I actually disagree that that's a great idea, <laughs> but I understand. Of course. I get, <laughs> I, the pot. No, 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 hang yeah. on, hang on. I get that, um, like the reason for that is it's a more efficient tax. And I, I agree with you there, like collection is a lot easier in terms of GST than income tax. Um, I think um, probably my main bugbear is trusting the government to um, close those loopholes. Like for example, the one on commercial property um, being exempt from, from G- basically getting that, that going concern um, exemption. Sure. Yeah. Um, whether or not they will actually focus on stuff like that and say, you know what, we actually didn't intend for them to get an exemption in this area. We're gonna take it away in terms mm-hmm. of um, commercial leases. So look, I, yeah. You know um, what else I think would be interesting in this area? whether 
they will look at the state taxes again. So when they introduced the okay. ST, yep. there was some promises made around, you know, stamp duties and other state taxes being reduced or, um, you know, a bit more standardisation amongst all the states. I could live with that. I could live with that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, first home buyers, etc. I'm sure they'd love a little less stamp duty on a property. And you've sold it to me. Yeah, yeah. You've sold it to me. Like, I I could accept that. I suppose the problem, though, would be the states having to trust that the federal government will give them a good slice of the GST pie. And that's it. That that has always been the issue. Spot on. Yeah, because that's the thing, Letty. It's the power dynamic as well, isn't it? Because it's who Nobody wants to let go of the purse strings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, but look, that look in a nutshell, that issue it will play out obviously over the next year or two. But it's something that I think um, not a lot of people understand, um, and I think it's because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, one of the statements made was that that actually there can't be any change in this area without the states. And, and mm. look, I, I just think that that's, that's just completely incorrect. And again, it's consumer sentiment as well because everybody goes to the supermarket. Yeah. Everybody buys bread, milk, biscuits. It's about online, isn't it? Uh, so we can talk about commercial it. leases and government politics all we like, but we also have to understand that everybody mm. also needs to think about looking after their own family yeah. and how they're going to pay the bills and groceries and mortgage. Mm. And that, yeah. So I think, yeah, all of those, all of those issues tied in, I think, makes this politically um, a bit of a, fo- a fire keg. Mm. It could blow up for for the government. So I, I'm really interested in this area, but I think maybe I should uh, move on. Well, I mean, going back to <laughs> just before we move on, going back to um, Laddie's suggestion of raising the income, uh, the tax-free threshold from I think it's eighteen thousand two hundred. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. raising it to thirty is almost or doubling that something. effectively, almost. Um, what's the feasibility of actually doing something like that, putting something like that in place? Because it's pretty much without precedent raising well, it that much. It's doable though, because we only quite recently went from six thousand to eighteen thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in terms of doing it, it's certainly doable. Yeah. And that was paid for with the like the low income tax offset uh, dropping. Yes, I was about to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. going to have to be paid for somehow. So it's an algebraic <laughs> equation. Yeah. This, yeah. Yes. But, but it will be paid for. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, certainly. With a high GST and GST on more goods and services, that's what we'll be paying mm. for it. Yeah. But then on the flip side, the consumer will have more cash in their pocket, yeah. in their bank account, under the mattresses, mm. and they have more choice about how they spend it, whether it's mm. on the biscuits, the milk, the bread or a holiday. Do you think that's something the tax office will seriously consider going forward or? Look, potentially, like anything's possible at this right. stage. Okay. Um, but I, like, I, I, I'm very hesitant about that. I, I just think that um, in terms of uh, targeting concessions or, or targeting tax, I like the way the income tax system does that, mm-hmm. as opposed to like the GST is a lot broader, but it's a lot clunkier as an instrument to levy tax. Okay. So look, that that's the only thing that I'd say there. But it's certainly all up for discussion in Canberra. Well, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to. That's right. Okay, so Letty, withholding tax on sales of taxable Australian property by non-residents, and that's something that you wanted to talk a bit about. Sure. So, so in the last couple of weeks, Treasury released a discussion paper on the proposal that when a non-resident or foreign resident sells Australian real property and certain other types of property, then the buyer must withhold 10% of the proceeds and send that to the ATO. So what happens with that is that then the non-resident can claim that 10% that's already been paid as an offset against their tax liability when they actually lodge an Australian tax return, declaring that income on that sale. 
So the purpose of this proposal is really to encourage compliance by foreign residents to comply with the Australian tax law and lodge Australian tax returns when they have taxable income. So this rule will apply from 1st of July 2016. Uh, the law hasn't been written yet, right now it's still in discussion stages. Okay. Um, and it will apply to assets that are what's known as taxable Australian property in tax jargon. So that includes mainly residential, uh, sorry, real property in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, also includes things like assets used in Australian branches of foreign businesses and also certain investments in companies and trusts that are land rich. So, but I, for the purposes of this discussion, we might focus on the real property. Okay. I actually really loved um, asking you questions about this. Sure, and when we, we put, because I, I, we use the practical example of just a real estate transaction where you've got like a $3 million property, which was above the threshold, uh, the um, exemption threshold that they set. Yeah. So I did neglect to mention yep. that uh, one of the exemptions that has been noted in the discussion paper is um, residential property valued at under $2.5 million. Yeah, okay. is not going to be attacked. But I think the way that I understood it, and I only ever understand it when there's an example, sure. um, so, so thank you, Letty, for providing the example, but I'll, I'll try, and, and try and use the same example. Basically, where a purchaser purchases a property from a vendor and um, that vendor happens to be a non-resident and that's yes. taxable Australian property, yes. The purchaser is the one who has to pay the withholding. Mm. Well, technically, ye yes. Uh, the, the legal liability is on the purchaser, the purchaser. to withhold 10%. Yep. So if on that $3 million, uh, the purchaser has to withhold 300000 send that to the tax office, yes. and send 270000 to the vendor. Yeah, that's it. It seems really unfair, doesn't it? To well, put the onus on a purchaser. Yeah. yeah. And that's what and, and that the only came issues. out. That only came out when Letty went through the example with me. So I'm glad that she yes. did because yeah. at first I was just like, okay, international, I don't understand. You got to put it in perspective, <laughs> but right. yeah, it oh. sounds really unfair. Yeah. And I guess this is something we're going to have to look at, Letty. <laughs> Absolutely. But how is a purchaser going to know at any given time whether a vendor is um, non-resident or not? That's Certainly, right. and that's one of the practical issues that the discussion paper does bring up mm. for public consultation. Uh, look, the, in theory, it's a good idea because in the name of justice and fairness, we don't want non-residents getting out of paying their tax liabilities Absolutely. in Australia yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. is legally due and payable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the practical difficulties is that if you're buying a commercial property as an investment or if you're buying a, a family home that's yeah. over the $2.5 million threshold, then it, the burden is on you, is on you yeah. to find out if this transaction is subject to uh, this withholding tax. Mm. Um, what, Letty, in terms of um, that exemption threshold for residential property, um, because obviously property prices are just booming sure. in Australia at the moment, um, it, will that be indexed to CPI? Have they said anything about that? The discussion that? paper doesn't mention it, but you bring up a very good point, Bill, because, as you're saying, uh, house prices are skyrocketing. Mm, yeah. So one thing that they will need to consider is indexation. Now, would they index it to CPI or other cost of living measures? And if so, would they be adequate? But on the flip side, if they're indexing it to, for example, the increase in house prices for the previous income year, 
Yeah. Would that be very messy, very clunky, very well, hard to that's administer? The thing. That's the thing. But if they don't index it, what happens in seven years' time when house prices have doubled again? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And but, two but point five growth, million dollars the, might not get much for family home. Well, here's the thing: the growth is very clunky as well. Sure. And Ange probably has a better background in the real estate industry than I do. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But the growth rate in Melbourne and Sydney is going to be Absolutely. completely different to Perth. Absolutely. Yeah. Melbourne and Sydney, or the eastern seaboard generally, just tends to be completely well and truly above every other state in Australia. I mean, you have sort of isolated areas of Australia like Canberra or the mining regions that sure. have their own sort of economics, so to speak. But, Bubble, um, I like but, to call them. <laughs> Bubbles, yeah, <laughs> bubbles yes. is a good term. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, yeah, Victoria, uh, well, Melbourne and Sydney would be, yeah, the yeah. forefront of those price changes. Actually, the other issue that I thought of, and um, I'm not sure if it was in the paper, Letty, but... How is the purchaser going to remit that withholding amount? Is it going to be the case of a BAS or is the contract going to have to change in substance? Or what do you... Well, that's... Uh, it, it was not covered in great detail. And once again, uh, it's the subject of a few of the discussion, paper, uh, the discussion questions in the paper itself. But um, under other withholding tax regimes in that already exist in the tax law, the withholder takes out that money before when they pay yep. the balance to the other party mm. um, and they remit it to the tax office at a later point in time okay. so whether that's GST whether there's other types of non-resident yeah. withholding now in in a case like a property transaction the question would be are they meant to send it off to the tax office straight away or do they wait until settlement and what happens if the uh, purchaser is buying it in installments so those mm. timing issues yeah you're correct Angela they yeah. do need to be looked at Absolutely. and because most people dealing in or a lot of people dealing with these sorts of transactions that get caught won't be running businesses, so it won't be as simple as putting it on, on the regular bus. And that's also where uh, real estate agents and in some cases stockbrokers where their shares and units involved. Yeah, 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 of the land. Might have to, yeah, might, might, yep. have to, uh, might have to do a bit of work as well. Because um, mm. yeah. obviously a lot of the time in the buying and selling of property, how is the purchaser meant to know the tax residency status of the non of the well, uh, well, party. Well, on that, you're writing an article on this. I hope. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If she confirms yeah. it here, she'll do it. So <laughs> if, if she says yes, it's all good. And, and I think real estate agents in general, they're going to find their role is going to have to adapt. Apart from you know Certainly. where there's shareholdings and things involved, have to be aware but of it, it probably would be their part of their due diligence now to be able sure. to know whether their vendor is a resident, non-resident, sure. provide that information to purchasers. Yes. There's no other way a purchaser can actually access that information, yeah. I guess. So real so estate agents, watch this space. The difficulty though is that the legal obligation is still on the purchaser. Yeah. So yeah. if you get that real estate agent who hasn't done their homework or doesn't know the law, mm then the problem is still going to be yours as the purchaser. Mm. Mm. I suppose the real estate agents will have to um, skill up in this area. When the yeah. law comes out, they will need to receive adequate training, understand yeah. the requirements, and perhaps put documents and procedures in place yeah. to make it possible yeah. and easy for their clients. The other problem with this, though, is obviously it's going to cost these real estate yeah, agencies and stockbroking agencies as well. Um, it cost them a lot of money to train, to do extra compliance. Yeah. And who are those costs going to get passed on to? Mm, yeah, exactly. The commissions and fees that they charge to the yeah. clients. Absolutely. Yeah. So you may, you may well be out of pocket for a lot so more a, than So it's a double whack, really. That's right. it's, So it's not just the withholding, it's also the, the yes. compliance costs. That yes. Yeah. So yeah. this is one of those situations where I think we can all agree, it, in theory, it is a good idea to make sure that people a, outside the country don't get out of paying their 
practice. It's how they do it, though. But how you do it, yeah. that's the difficulty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always. Mm. Okay. Fantastic. Well, on the subject of purchases, let's turn to <laughs> Christmas, which is a, a pretty vague segue. Forgive Q, me. For Q Santa? Q Santa? <laughs> no, good. I'm just joking. Um, well, this time of year, or, you know, as we move into the sort of festive season, most businesses look to, you know, provide Christmas parties or holiday parties and maybe some gifts, maybe some bonuses. This is the time of year where a lot of unintended uh, tax consequences are stem from those types of transactions so we just thought it was a timely reminder to everyone to say hey let's consider some of these uh, perks but what also the tax consequences of those perks are so because we're always thinking about the tax as employees or as individuals most of the time we're just happy our employer is happy to give us something so yeah, yeah. Christmas, <laughs> Christmas party Christmas party really Christmas party is great the yeah. Christmas party this year yeah. <laughs> we'll be hey, discussing this we, issue we, think we will be <laughs> we, should, great we should be uploading photos to Twitter as well I reckon this I year. think so I yeah. think yeah yeah, well, put it out there. Look out for that, everybody. Yeah. That'll be excitement that. central. Visual content. <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to hijack. So, uh, I guess primarily, let's talk about entertainment because ultimately, that's what we're talking about at this time of year. It's a lot of entertainment going on. There are three three types that you would look at, and they are um, meal entertainment. There is entertainment facility leasing, and then there's recreational. So, just quickly. Meal entertainment is obvious. It's food and drink provided to you by your employer in an entertainment type setting. So it doesn't include, um, you know, food provided on the work premises whilst you're having a seminar or a training. Okay. Mm. Then we have um, EFLE or entertainment <coughs> leasing facility expense, and that talks about where an employer might hire out like a whole venue, primarily for the purpose of their Christmas exclusive use, or, yeah. like a pro- like a Christmas party yep. spot on bill. Yep. And then the last one is recreational entertainment. So that looks at things like tickets to DJ. the movie. <laughs> DJ. Um, so a number of those types of uh, gift type okay. um, benefits. So uh, what's important to note is both meal entertainment and EFLE have two methods of uh, valuation, which is the 50-50 split method and the actual. Or occasionally, but very rarely seen, is the twelve-week register method. Yeah, so that is. I was about to it say. Is a, it but is. But no one really. It uses technically it exists, but I've probably in all my years of practice seen two clients ever use it. So okay. we're talking pretty rare, and then actual, it is always used for recreation. Okay. There's mm. no option, so okay. you have to, and I guess. The biggest point of confusion is people do get confused between 50-50 and actual all the time. Mm. So what you'll find is they'll sort of cherry pick things well, well, did, like, <laughs> and then try and do a 50-50 on the top. So, Do they worry as well about the income tax and GST flow on effects of their choice? Well, this is, is that yeah, see, an issue with clients? I think a lot of people... Um, Oh, look, I'll say generally most people know that if they pick 50-50 method, yep. they're limited to how much they can, can claim. claim. Okay. And they generally are pretty good at adjusting the next baz for, 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 for credits that. as well okay. and things like that. I think overall that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, it's more actually applying the methodology to the actual fringe benefits amount okay. that I find most people tend to get wrong. Okay. Um, but... For anyone out there, obviously, please make sure you do consider how your FBT choices will affect your income tax and GST liability. Angela, I understand that there's a minor benefits exemption for $300. Now, the way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I understand that as long as it's not provided regularly, mm-hmm. then then something that's under three hundred dollars can be completely FBT exempt. Yeah, and that's just it. So it, there's two components to the minor benefit rule that it's not provided regularly and um, or, or frequently. Mm. Um, so I'll give you an example. Like some some employers might pay for a gym membership for their employees and they might say, well, monthly, on a monthly basis, yeah. it's under $300. Yeah, right. But, but you have regular, to look at it, it as a cumulative total. So mm. if it's something regular and it has a cumulative total that's over $300, then, you're caught. then it's yep. still caught. You okay. can't apply yeah. benefits to that. Yep. So if, for example, taxpayers felt so inclined to give us all $100 gift vouchers to Maya at the end of the year... <laughs> hint, hint. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, that would be exempt okay. under the minor benefits yep. yeah, exemption. Yeah. Now, how about if you have for a Christmas party mm. for your staff at the end of the year yep. and it's less than 300 ahead, but yeah. you also did the same thing in July for end of financial year. Twice a year, doing the same thing, would that be counted? You know, my inclination would be to say it's fine. Sure. That said, the ATO hasn't ever published what they consider what? to be Isn't, frequent. Yeah, so okay. it's still a grey area. <laughs> yeah, it's a grey area. Yes. So a uh, sense of, you know... Well, you know, reasonableness has to be applied. Well, would it sure. matter if you did that every year? Like, for no, example, no, that's you know, fine. That, They've so actually they've... there is actually a ruling, and I, sorry everybody, but I've totally forgotten the <laughs> reference. But they actually do have a ruling specifically on Christmas parties. Okay. And another quirk about Christmas parties, may I say, is if you've hired out a venue specifically for your own personal use, so yep. no other uh, customers can use it. Mm-hmm. You can apply EFLE to that, yep. to the cost of the hire of the oh. venue, and use whichever method you want under that. Um, and then, for the actual meals and drinks provided, mm. you can treat that as meal entertainment and classify it that way and treat it with mm. whichever valuation method you want for that as well. Yeah, okay. Mm. Now, you might ask, well, what's what's the point? Exactly. EFLE is not reportable. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, right, okay. So your employees are not going to end up with a slice of, a, oh. of the cake on their, yeah, their payment pay summary yeah, ex- and yeah. so forth. Um, and secondly, um, because the per head cost, as Letty said, would be taken into consideration for the minor, minor benefits benefit. exemption, yeah. if you think you're going over $300 a head by packaging venue and food, you can actually segregate Split. those out. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that that, that's the next question that I had, is how is that exemption affected by the choices that you've made? Yeah. So d- does, like, can you only apply that exemption if you're using one particular method like the actual? Oh, that's as such opposed a great to, question, Bill. Yeah, it's a leading question. People, it's a leading yeah, question. Yeah, and this is where people get it really wrong, and I know that's why you're going yes, there. Yes, that's right. But if you are opting to use 50-50 method, you cannot use the minor benefits exemption. Okay. So the, the, the idea is by give, using the 50-50 method, you're already receiving a concession yes. yeah. sure. in that it's easy, yeah, it's there's half. no substantiation, it's, yeah, exactly. and it's half. Yeah. So it, minor benefits is to those using actual method to help you a little bit with the onerous task of transactions for entertainment purposes, yep. you can apply minor benefits. And where can they find further guidance on this, Anne? Yes, well, our tax specialist, Andy, has pulled out his Ripper Ultimate Tax Christmas Guide, and it's in the November Taxpayer Edition. Uh, It's a really comprehensive checklist. Basically, it's a tool you can use to sort of say, did we provide this benefit? What is the possible tax consequence? And And it does talk about FBT, income tax and GST consequences. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. So that's, that's what we anybody want. who's yeah. yeah, anyone who's unsure, please refer to that 
great checklist. Fantastic. On that note, let's wrap it up. This has been the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode number three for Angela, Letty, Bill. I am Nathan Hewitt, leaving you with a singular piece of advice. If you're going to buy the pen folds, keep it under 300 for this Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. Thank See you, you later. Cheers.